Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here on our, uh, as we're right in the middle of May, we're recording this on Wednesday, May the 15th. There's, uh, um, you know, Memorial Day weekend is fast approaching and UCF sports for the 2018-2019 season are starting to kind of, uh, well, we're starting to wrap things up here. It's kind of, all of a sudden it hits you that, you know, the postseason's come and go and it's, and we're putting another year in the books pretty quickly. Uh, we got our last weekend of baseball coming up, but, um, you know, there's still, Lord knows in the hashtag content world, there's still plenty to talk about. A eh, gentlemen. Well, this is where you chime in, Jeffrey, because you've got plenty to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've got well, we've got that to talk about. But we're gonna start. We're gonna um, we are going to talk about UCF baseball heading into their uh, final um, weekend of the regular season, and they are hot as a pistol right now uh, after beating um, FAU, um, and with a chance to maybe not seal up an at-large bid, but to take a massive step toward it uh, with a senior weekend against Houston Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We'll talk. We'll put a wrap on uh, UCF softball as well with Eric Lopez, um, and uh, we will also talk about football scheduling news to talk about. And lots of debates happening and people freaking out on Twitter, and it's amazing. Um, it's it's going to be great. We're also going to uh, catch up with... Um, uh, with uh, golf and tennis and track and just kind of wrap things right, up around a that. Right, playing for a national championship. That's right. Women's golf, man. And they're actually, like, in the tournament, you know? So um, so we will talk about that. Emily Marin's team making it making it to the NCAA uh, championship tournament for the first time uh, under her tutelage. And plenty more to talk about. So we are Black and Gold Banneret, SB Nation's home for UCF sports. You can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com as well as at UCF underscore banneret on Twitter and Facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. All right, let's dive in because I want to talk about some baseball with you, Brian Murphy. Um, that's right. That's right. So here's your UCF Knights. They have, uh, well, what is it? They've won, let's see, one, two, three, four, nine five, of nine of 11. All right. Uh, including two, two straight against in-state ranked opponents. Eight to seven against Miami last Wednesday, thirteen to ten, a wild one down in Boca Raton um, on uh, Tuesday, and they now head into their final three games of the regular season at home against the Houston Cougars. Uh, Thursday, it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday because the uh, AAC tournament in Clearwater starts on Tuesday, so they're trying to get everything kind of wrapped up. They never play games on Sunday. Um, but uh, the American looks like this uh, in terms of baseball. UCF right now is 32-19, and 9-12 in the league, currently in seventh place. Um, however, um, our, their RPI took a big jump. They are close to 40. I think they jumped from 50 to 43. Is that right, Eric, I think you said yeah, earlier today? That is correct. Okay, so, yeah, that's correct. so the win over FAU bumped them up seven spots and now i know that houston is you know not ranked at the moment although um you know for their sake houston's fourth in the league 31 and 20 uh overall 11 and 10 fourth place in the american but um that could still be a key this is obviously a seriously important weekend for ucf if they can get two out of three of course that's always the that's always the trick can you get two out of three or sweep if possible, so, um, so what? So, what's the goal here, Brian Murphy? What, what 
Just tell us what's going to happen. If only we we could predict baseball, we'd all be much richer people. I know, right? Um, And and it wouldn't be nearly as fun. We should also point out, so, yeah, they don't, like, Houston does not have a number next to its name, like, because it's not ranked in one of the six polls that college baseball adheres to. I don't really adhere to the poll numbers either. I think they're kind of hogwash for the most part. Uh, P5 bias. Sorry, I had to get that in there. Yeah, right. Anyway, the RPI for Houston, though, is 39. And so, you know, F- FAU's uh, RPI going into last night's game, was, going into the Tuesday night game, was 34. Yeah. Um, this is another really good opponent. And if you watch, if you look at the uh, D1Baseball.com tournament projections, FAU and Houston are currently in the tournament, whereas UCF, even after the win at FAU, is among the last five out, according to the, according to the projection on D1 Baseball. So Houston's a very good team. They're, they're possibly a tournament team. Uh, they've got a top 40 RPI. These are gigantic games, not just to end a season, but to go into the conference tournament. I, I kind of look at it like this. UCF has at least five games left on their schedule. They have the three here this weekend against Houston and at least two in the double elimination in the tournament in Clearwater next week. If they win four or five, you feel really good. Four or five, you feel really good, no matter how you go, no matter how you go about it. Um, but that's uh, that's uh, that's what the aim is. Well, here's here's what I find interesting is if the if the season ended today, it's our, our always our least favorite thing to say. But um, yes. the the three other teams that UCF would that would be on UCF's side of the bracket in Clearwater would be uh, Memphis, who is nine and eleven in the league, twenty six and twenty four. Tulane, who's 30 and 22, 11 and 9, and Cincinnati, who's 25 and 27, but 13 and 11. Now, that can go one of two ways. Obviously, if you, it, it, it looks like in the first round, you'd go 2 7, so that would be Tulane in the first round. Um, Cincinnati, eh, 25 and 27, ew. Um, you know, I mean, like, pick your poison between them and Memphis in terms of hurting your RPI, right? I mean, is that. Well, it's it would it's you know they wouldn't say they're not going to say this they're not, I mean the, the team won't say this but it actually probably helps UCF to finish in either the six or the seven spot than in the four five or eight spot so currently right now they're seventh hmm. they are they are locked into the conference tournament eight of the top eight of the eight of the uh, nine teams in the tournament eight of the nine teams in the conference get in the ninth team is left out they're too clear of Wichita State and US, and USF who play each other this weekend. So whoever loses that series actually loses their chance to go to the tournament. As the, well. the irresistible force meets the immovable object down there, huh? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's really it's already playoff baseball in the regular season when Wichita State and USF get together. But if if UCF sweeps Houston, let's say, and things break right for them, they could advance as far up as fourth. They could go as far as fourth in the standings. Um, however, I'm not sure you want to do that. Because there okay. is a juggernaut in this league. It is clearly East Carolina, yeah. a team that, yes, it was almost two months ago, but they swept UCF back at uh, back in Greenville uh, right around uh, NCAA tournament time. Yeah, ECU is uh, still good. <laughs> yeah, ECU is fantastic. They they are looking like they're they're basically a lock for uh, a host a host. Uh, they're they're going to host a regional. They might end up hosting a super regional because right now they're somewhere around like the top. They're like nine or ten. In most uh, regional rankings, so if they get in the top eight, they might host a super. Uh, that's how good they are. So, but if you stay out of the four, five, eight, you stay off of their side of the bracket. 
mm-hmm. and you list and you mentioned the teams that that would be on UCF side of the bracket if they finish where they are now. Memphis, they already beat in conference. Uh, they didn't, you know, UCF didn't win many conference series this year, but they did beat Memphis here. Mm-hmm. They beat Tulane. They beat Tulane on the road in New Orleans. A couple two weeks out ago. of three, right? Yeah. Yes, two out of three, and they and if not for a two out, two strike, two run walk off home run by Cincinnati, UCF would have won that game. UCF would have won that series too. Yeah. So we're basically talking about one pitch away uh, from basically beating all three teams that they could realistically see in the conference tournament. However, if things break and they end up as the five or the four or the eight then you're looking at a first or second round matchup in the conference tournament with ECU. And you mm-hmm. don't want that right now when the the number one thing you need right now is wins. Not to mention also Houston, um, who would be on that same... That side would be a murderer's row if that happened. Could yeah, you imagine? You do not ECU, want to be in that Houston, Houston, and we know how good UConn is year in and year and out. And possibly in UConn. Yeah. Yeah. In, yeah, in, that's, in, a, that's a brutal section. Yeah, so I... Well, here's the thing. Here, here's point. the thing. They got to win the Houston series this weekend. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. It does. It, if they don't win the Houston series, they're going to have to win the conference tournament to get into the tournament, in my opinion. I don't think they're going to let UCF in, Murph, without a marquee series win. Their marquee wins are all midweeks for the most part. And, yes, they took a game from Auburn and they took a game from UConn. But they don't have a marquee series win right now, and that's, where, that's why I think the Houston series is critical. If they can get a series win against Houston – I think that helps their chances. Otherwise, I think they're going to have to win the automatic bid just to get in, don't you? Absolutely, and this is why I said they have to win. They they have at least five games left. They have to win four or five, and and that means you only get one loss. You only get one one piece of margin for error somewhere. That means you have to win two of at least two of three this weekend. You have to at least win two of three, uh, if not sweep, to really feel good going into Clearwater. Um, and right now, this is a UCF team that. I mean, it's it's, ama- it's amazing how far this team has come in the span of about a month, maybe five or six weeks. Uh, but this is a team that could do that. They could they could legitimately sweep Houston, who does have a very good pitching staff. They are top 25 in the nation in ERA, whip, and uh, fewest hits allowed. They have a massive bopper in the, in the middle of the lineup in Joe Davis, who kind of looks like um, – the old the old Bugs Barney cartoons. He they look like the he, the old Gas House Gorillas. Yeah, he, that's what he that's was, what Joe Davis looks yeah. like. And, Joe, but, Joe but Davis. He, Joe Davis looks like his name is Joe Davis. I mean, that's. But yeah, yeah and he lived up to it. I mean, he's six right. three. He's excuse me, six foot, and he looks at two thirty. I'm not sure if it's two thirty or two forty, but whatever. Uh, he's a big dude, and does he it hits, matter at he, that he, point? <laughs> yeah, he, he's a big dude. He mashes so. This this Houston team is good, but the way that UCF is going right now, uh, the way their offense showed against FAU, and the way they do have their pitching staff lined up here, they have uh, Grant Sherman, their Friday night starter. He's going to go on Thursday. They'll have Jordan Spicer go in the middle game of the series uh, because they used Chris Williams at, at FAU. It was not Chris's best start, no fastball command. Hmm. But Jordan Spicer has been phenomenal. I believe he's given up four earned runs in his last 22 innings. Uh, he's really turned it around. So you've got two quality arms uh, meeting Houston in the first two games of the series. And then, you know, you, you, you worry about Saturday when you get to Saturday. It's the last game of the season. We'll see where we'll see where things lie. We'll, you know, maybe UCF will have split, you know, one and one. And if, if, the, if they have a split going into that rubber match on Saturday, then it's almost all hands on deck. I mean, they, they wouldn't want to use 
uh, like Chris Williams out of the bullpen because they probably want to use Chris Williams to start game one in the conference tournament the following Tuesday. But if they have to for a couple innings, you might see him on Saturday. Hmm. Interesting. Now, Eric, you had a big write-up um, after the FAU game um, where you discussed how the committee made a point last year of if you finished under 500 in your in your um, conference season, we're not going to put you in. And right now, UCF, in order for them to finish 500 in the conference in the regular season, they would have to sweep Houston. Do you think that that's still the case? That's going to be one of the big questions on Selection Monday in a couple of weeks when they do that. Because in t- just reading up on a lot of people that follow this closely, this year's bubble is not as strong as last year. And mm-hmm. so they're going to, have, you know, last year there was such a, there was a lot of depth in the bubble that they could afford to do that. Basically say, look, if you're 500 or better in your league, we're going to put you in. That's not necessarily the case this year. The, the bubble's not as strong. So they might be forced to pick a few teams that aren't at 500 in conference. That's what we wonder. Like, you know, I did an in-depth details you mentioned. I broke down some of the bubble teams. And one of the bubble teams is UC Irvine. If you look at UC Irvine's resume, it does not jump out at all. It's not very good, but they're having a good year in the conference. And I think that's why, and, I'm, and Brian can speak to this, having lived on the West Coast there. I mean, UC Irvine's a big name in baseball uh, programs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm wondering if the brand there is maybe the reason why they're in the bubble. Because you look at their resume, it is not very impressive this year. But they are above 500. They're at the top of the near the top of the league uh, in the Big West. And that's a very, you know, traditionally a good league in baseball. So. Uh, I think that's going to be very interesting. There's so many interesting plot lines because you have Florida State on the bubble. Yeah. Mike Martin's remember, last year. Yeah. And remember, so, how ba- remember how bad they were when UCF beat them a couple months ago yeah. and their RPI was, was north of 100? Mm-hmm. They were awful, and then they've done really well in conference when the AAC – the ACC right. is a great conference. They're 16-11 and 11 in the ACC. The RPI is 57. Uh, I think they would get in based on Mike Martin's swan song and being above 500 in the ACC, but you never know. Florida's a team that's on the bubble. They have a great RPI in the 30s, but they're like seven under 500 in the in the yeah. ACC. So to yeah, your point, they're Jeff, 10 and 17 a- in the SEC. Although their strength of schedule, which you put in the which you put in there, they have the fifth hardest strength of schedule in the nation. Correct. So does the committee reward Florida for playing a tough schedule, or do they punish him for being under 500? I think Florida, first of all, let's see if they get to the SEC tournament. If they do, I think they're going to have to win some games. But I think that's a great question, Jeff. That I don't, you know, that is that, that remains to be seen. Will the committee continue the trend that they did last year, where they left teams? Uh, you know, if you were under 500 in conference, you had no shot. Now keep in mind, UCF last year was 13 and 10 in the American, which I thought was a, was a stronger league last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, went 0 and 2 in the conference tournament, so they finished 13 and 12. They didn't get in. At, that UCF team, I looked at it because I actually reread my article I did last year when I when I wrote about how I thought UCF would get in to the tournament and should be in. They have a stronger resume last year's team did than this year's team does. But because the bubble is weaker this year, UCF, if they can finish strong to Murph's point, I think they could slip in. So it's, it's a very weird – this is one of the strangest college baseball seasons ever because – you're only going to have one team host in the state in all likelihood in Miami, and you've got Florida and Florida State on the bubble. Um, you got teams like Virginia and Clemson who are perennial powers on the bubble. It's a very bizarre year in college baseball. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, at least at this point, you know, as we look at the games that are coming up for um, 
you know, for teams in the American. By the way, Memphis, uh, <laughs> Memphis and EC are the ones who get to wrap um, the season against each other. So we'll probably be keeping an eye on that. But um, in addition to everything else, and you mentioned Wichita State, South Florida, the team that kind of has the bye week is Cincinnati. They play Xavier, by the way. Um, yeah. I, I think that the conference tournament is again going to maybe play a, a, a little bit of an outsized role uh, in determining which bubble teams from the American do get in. And I think you put in your article too, Eric, and I wonder what, Murph, what you thought about this was one of the really interesting th- teams, I think, in the you know 12 or so that you listed was Illinois State out of the MVC. Um, they're 30 and 21. They're 12 and six in the conference. They have an RPI of 25 and a strength of schedule of 31. And yet they're in, on the bubble because they're in the they're in the Missouri Valley you know and, right and i based and i based the bubble teams based on who i uh, saw D1 in baseball america have as far as last teams in and last teams out yeah. so that's why so. It, you know, that's what it's based on yeah. so and four um, and four teams from the american that you have there Tulane Houston Yukon and and UCF one of those teams very well may play themselves into the tournament in Clearwater. Well, yeah. that's going to be the, that's the other interesting thing. Tulane's near the top of the American, but their RPI is in the 80s. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, now last year, remember last year, the committee put in Washington, who had an, a ridiculous RPI. I think they were like in the 60s, I want to say, in the RPI. I remember that drew a lot of controversy, mm-hmm. but they were near the top of the Pac 12. So, and, and it was it goes back to the narrative that the initiative that the committee wanted, which was reward teams for playing well in the conference. So, do they reward a team like Tulane if they were to make a deep run in the conference tournament despite the high RPI? I don't know. I, I think, to me, that's why I go back to what I said earlier. I think UCF has to win this Houston series. I don't see the committee putting in a UCF team if they're like 10 and 14 in the mm-hmm. American. Not this year. Because I think at that point, they would rather, at that point, I think they, if they're going to put teams under 500 in a conference, I think they're going to do it probably in the SEC or the ACC is my guess. So I think UCF, you want to be as near to 500, if not above, as much possible. And I think based on what you do against Houston will dictate on what you need to do in the conference tournament. Because if you don't, let's say they don't win this series against Houston, you're going to have to win the conference tournament. If they win two out of three, you may have to win two to three games in Clearwater um, and maybe make a deep run anyway. So you just don't know. Um, and that's what's going to be fascinating about this weekend and, and the next week in Clearwater. I think it's pivotal because I don't think UConn and Houston are locks either right now because no. if they struggle down the stretch, they could get bumped off. This is a big series for Houston as well. This is a huge series for Houston, uh, and that's why I've, I wrote in the article, I think this might be arguably the third biggest uh, ser- UCF home series in the last 15 years that they've hosted in baseball behind the, the 2017 American Conference finale against USF, which decided the regular season title, and then the 2012 finale against Rice, which decided the Conference USA title. This is a huge series for both Houston and UCF with uh, NCAA implications. And as Murph mentioned, they could go UCF could go as high as a four, a four seed or as low as an eight seed, depends on the weekend results. Uh, you know, I mean, Houston, I mean, this is really a both teams controlling their own destiny for postseason success. Is this, is mean, this a loser leaves town match? Uh, yeah, uh, probably. <laughs> I had to yeah. get that in. I, yeah. I, well, with Houston, it's a little. They have a little bit more leeway, but with UCF, it it probably is unless they make a massive run. And again, I will state again: even if UCF wins two out of three, they need to win probably two games in the conference tournament minimum. 
You know, they need to win two there. They can't go zero and two. They they probably can't even go one and two. They got to win two. Okay, all right. Not to mention the fact that Terry Rooney is making his return to UCF. Oh, by the way. He's, he's uh, Houston's <laughs> Houston's pitching coach. This is the first time he's been back, right? That's correct. This is the first time he's been back. He left UCF after the 2016 season to be the, quote, pitching coach at Alabama. Lasted a year there. Then the Alabama head coach got fired. And then Rooney ended up, ironically, an assistant at Houston, which is really bizarre because anybody that followed the two programs, they got it was a heated thing when Rooney was here with UCF and Houston. They were mm-hmm. there was a there was a near uh, benches clearing uh, you know deal there a couple few years. There back. were a few of those incidents during the Rooney era, if I recall correctly. <laughs> yeah, shocker, right? Uh, but he left, and then in came Greg Lovelady. So yes, this will be the first time that Terry comes to UCF uh, since he left at 2016, and obviously didn't end well. As I wrote about on the Black and Gold Banner, I went really in depth about the highs and lows during the Rooney era. And I, it's unfortunate we've forgotten the highs because, I mean, this was a at one point they were a win away in Coral Gables in 2012 from going to the Super Regional. Uh, they lost back-to-back games to Stony Brook, and the program never recovered from that. And, uh, and they kind of went downhill from there to the point when Rooney left in 2016. Greg Lovelady came in, won the conference title in 2017, and uh, now they both will be on the field, uh, at least in the same ballpark, uh, this week. So that should be very fascinating to see with Rooney handling that Houston pitching staff that you talked about, Murph, that's had a good year. Had a very good year again. One of the top 25 pitching staffs in a number of categories in the nation. I'm sure there's nothing that Terry Rooney would like more than to have that pitching staff shut down uh, his former employer and keep them out of the uh, NCAA tournament. Yeah, well, we'll have to see again. It's it's a, it's a, it's a uh, different schedule for the series it's all games are at six o'clock eastern thursday friday and saturday and they're all on ucfnights.tv by the way we will find out on, on saturday who's playing where and when in the uh in the conference tournament in clearwater so i don't know boys what do you think we'll do like a quick little preview because i because I, i'm gonna have to i know that at least i murph you're gonna go down to clearwater right yeah i'll be there yeah I'm going down to Clearwater because I'm going to be um, I'm going to be doing some of the the Memphis games, um, you know, for however long that they get to stay uh, in the tournament, which is fun. It's a, my fourth straight year doing it. I can't I can't wait to get down there. It's always so much fun. Well, I'm open to an invite, boys. If you want to invite me, I'll go with you. <laughs> I'm. Let's all do Let's all do a banneret special from Clearwater. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we we could we could we could do it from right you know right there in the uh, it, right, right there in the concourse. Maybe we could do it from Frenchies. I mean, Ooh, I Frenchies. Mean, yeah, oh yeah, man, Frenchies. please. You and Brightwell yeah. always talk about Frenchies on the broadcast. Yeah, because they they keep getting peppered with long fly balls to left. You know, I mean, why not? So. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I, I I will I will not lie. After UCF went zero and two last year in the conference tournament, I spent some time at Frenchies <laughs> after that second game. It was very probably, good. You probably weren't the good. only uh, only you probably weren't the only UCF affiliated person who was doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a break. When we get back, uh, we're gonna talk about some football, and we're gonna talk about specifically scheduling and. Um, I don't know how good of a poker player is Danny White. We might be finding out here in the next uh, in the next couple weeks. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. You can follow us individually on Twitter at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter, and follow us collectively at 
UCF underscore Banneret. All right. Um, time to talk a little football in May because, you know, why not? Um, some scheduling is some, some, some flaps having to do with scheduling here, boys. Um, the news broke on Tuesday that South Florida has scheduled a two for one with the University of Miami. Uh, the three game series would start in 2025. They play in Miami at uh, Hard Rock, or at least the stadium currently known as Hard Rock Stadium, uh, in 2025 and 2028. And then they play in Tampa in 2027. Um, this was met with uh, widespread consternation on UCF social, uh, social channels. Um, and a lot of pointing and laughing by USF people, I, w- I would imagine, too. Um, but I came out, and I want to know what you guys think. And I came out, and, and I'm like, all right. South Florida has now gotten a two-for-one with Florida. They've gotten, uh, they got two dates with Boise. They got two dates with BYU, two dates with Louisville, at least two dates. I forget if they had a two-for-one with Louisville, but... Um, and uh, and now they have a two for one with Miami. Meanwhile, up the road here in uh, Orlando, Danny White is still sticking to his guns and saying, "Look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do any two for ones. I'm just not gonna do it. We deserve better than that." Um, and I came out on Twitter and I said, "You know, I'm starting to sour on the whole home and home or bust thing for non conference scheduling." For UCF because it it's starting to feel like um like there's a tipping point now and um there was there's been debate on the message boards there's been debate on Twitter on Facebook everywhere um you know so far everyone's like so far for me from what I could gather the the reaction has been no Danny White needs to stick to his guns um you know there was a revisiting of the Florida thing but I. We'll start with this. I want to know what you guys think, at least as of right now. Given what USF has has now done, um, does does it pay for Danny White to now sort of revisit and soften his stance now on these on not accepting a two for one? And Brian, I'll start with you on that one. I don't think it pays for him because he's like as as a, as you would say in, in poker, he's pot committed. Like that's been his stance. I don't know if he can really come off of this right yet. So uh, at least in the near term, at least in the, at least in the near term, I, I would say no, because because he's just so dead set on you know home and home, home and home. Uh, and I understand that <clears throat> other other big programs or other smaller programs have gotten home and homes with other with other big programs. I, I get it. I, I would also say like you can't compare everything. You know, it's not all apples to apples. And in USF's case, like. What leverage would they have if they really wanted to push for a home and home against some of these bigger opponents like a Miami? Um, they, they, you can take what you get. With us, with UCF, I understand why they're trying to say we should be respected to get a home and home. Although I also understand Jeff's point of view, which you'll, I know you'll delve into greatly. Uh, but will Danny White change his mind? Uh, no, not at the moment. And I would assume not before the start of next season. Eric, what do you think? Well, I think, first of all, I think South Florida and UCF are in, you know, everybody has different situations. Everybody's trying to make revenue. And I think to uh, the new athletic director at South Florida, Michael Kelly, 
you know, they're trying to generate interest in that program. We have talked about ad nauseum about the lack of attendance and the attendance issues at South Florida they're having playing their games at Raymond James. So he's trying to generate interest. And the way you do that is by scheduling marquee teams and to come in. Regardless, and I don't, you know, whether it's Florida, Miami, I mean, people could talk about all the ticket splits and all that's nonsense. The bottom line is you're trying to get people engaged in that community to go to games and get excited about games. So that agenda, I applaud. I applaud what South Florida is doing. They're trying to play as many marquee games as they can and try to generate revenue that way and get people into the seats, regardless of what color they're wearing. That's a, that's a positive. UCF's not in that position from the standpoint of, They've got a good ticket base going right now. They're they, they're drawing. They're going to draw about forty five thousand. And in particular, the premium seats are the ones that are sold out. The ones in the cabanas. That's I think where Danny's interest is is try to make sure that our revenue is coming from our six to seven home games, regardless of who the opponent is. Sell those tickets. Keep winning ten to eleven to twelve games a year. You know, and then scream at the playoff system and get the crowd and the fans riled up. And that's how you generate your revenue. So. I think both schools are doing it correct. There's no wrong answer as far as the approach. Um, from a UCF standpoint, I think the question is, is this. Uh, is it worth, you know, do you want to just, is it more important to have the seven home games at the expense of perhaps a lesser opponent uh, that you might, or as opposed to, hey, you might get a better opponent, but you may have to go on the road or play a neutral field. I don't know the answer to that. It depends on what the you know the dollar set and cents makes uh, for UCF and that, and I think that's what they're trying to figure out. And that's why I think they're sticking to their home and home uh, policy here because they feel that at the end of the day they'll be able to fill those slots and regardless of who they are and get themselves in the best position to win eleven to twelve games a year. Well, I think you're both right, and I, I'm glad you both made the point that you know I think a lot of people do think of UCF and USF as sort of a package deal when in this particular situation. Um, when it comes to scheduling, due to their venues, due to you know the fact that UCF has an on-campus stadium and USF does not, um, that th th it's not an apples-to-apples -apples comparison between the two. However, I have a piece coming out on Black and Gold Banner on Thursday, and what I did was you know, after you know what I wrote on Wednesday morning, uh, I, I kind of sat down and I'm like, let me look at the data here. So what I did was I, I, I went on uh, fbschedules.com. Shout out to them. I, the guys who run that site, I don't, I don't know how they do it, but man, it's a great site. And I looked at every team in the Power Five conferences, plus the American, plus the Mountain West, just to, just to be sure about it, um, plus uh, obviously the independents. Notre Dame is considered part of the P5 because they have that special deal, but I also looked at Army and BYU. And... I wanted to look at so all the 2019 schedules are set, but I wanted to look at a, an extended period of time. So I looked at a 10 season span from 2020 to 2029, and I wanted to see how many of these schools, there's 91 schools in total that I looked at, that ha, how many of them have, have slots open, how many of those slots are open. Now, um, and I wanted to calculate what percentage of their non-conference schedule inventory does each team have filled and have open, right? So I plugged in all this data today, and I found some interesting, very interesting trends to look at, all right? Um, UCF, I found out, is actually in some serious trouble schedule-wise over that 10-year period. Because 
The Knights right now have the lowest percentage of their non-conference schedule inventory already filled out. Only of, of the 40 games, the 40 potential non-conference, and by the way, this doesn't take into account any potential conference changes in the middle of the decade or any of that. Um, of the 40 games that UCF has in that 10-year period open, they've only scheduled 17.5% of them. Seven out of 40. All right? That, that is, of the 91 teams that I looked at, again, Power 5 conferences plus major independents, Mountain West and the American, that is the lowest percentage of those 91 teams. The next lowest, by the way, Nevada and Utah State have scheduled only only um, only 11 of their 40 games, 27.5%. SMU and UConn have scheduled only 13 of 40, 32.5%. The nearest Power 5 team is TCU. They've scheduled... Uh, only tw- they schedule only 20 out of 60. Now they're in the Big 12, so they only play three out of conference games per year because they have a nine game conference schedule. So they they have a lower inventory to fill. But even so, they've only filled they've only uh, they still got 20 um, spots still open. Um, or excuse me, they only ha- they only have uh, they have ten- they have 20 spots open out of 30. Um, you go down a little further. Interestingly enough. Lots of S- a few SEC schools have a lot of openings. Arkansas, Tennessee, Texas A&M are all around 35%. Um, and, and there's no rhyme or reason to which teams have the most games um, scheduled. Oh, here's the other thing that I found out, all right? UCF, all right, I, I was astounded when I saw this. UCF has more total games to fill out than every team that plays in a conference. They're eclipsed by only Army and BYU, who are both independent, and they have to schedule all their games. Basically, basically they play 12 non-conference games. In fact, UCF, in that 10-year period, from 2020 to 2029, has more games left to fill out in that time period than Notre Dame does. UCF has 33 <laughs> slots to fill out. Notre Dame has 28. Now, granted, Notre Dame gets a little bit of help from their from their little, you know, side piece with the ACC, but still, that was unbelievable to me. Um, so, there's a lot of work to be done here. This is a really heavy lift. Yes, and so <laughs> what do you what do you imagine uh, that what what are the what are the what is the recourse that you you have to take here? And I I just teed it up for you because I know you have. Yes, Good thank you, answers. thank you for throwing me that nice wow, fat, that nice fat, juicy changeup <laughs> right down the middle. Um, mm. Well, I, I, I do think this is what I found was interesting. I looked at it twenty twenty, and I said, all right, well, there's not that many slots open in twenty. Only ten teams have slots open in twenty twenty. UCF has two slots open. So does TCU and Arkansas. I thought that was really interesting. Um, the other schools that do that are not in the American, Eric Lopez, you'd find this interesting, Miami and Florida State. In fact, both Miami and Florida State have at least one opening every year from 2020 to 2029. Um, so if UCF wants to fill out that 2020 slate, and uh, I'll double check who they have on there right now, but um, that is they could go get an in-state opponent. But I think if you're going to do that, 
I do think Danny White is going to have to soften his stance on two for ones. Now, I don't think he should accept a two for neutral, where the neutral site would be, you know, they play two games at, you know, what have you, Miami, Gainesville, Tallahassee, and then they play the one game at Camping World. I don't think that, I don't think that's right. I think you would do, should do a one, one, one. And if Florida ended up, um, you know, off, and if it was true that Florida offered them a two for neutral, then Danny White was right to uh, turn that down. But I think you got, I think you got to kind of throttle that back a little bit because there's a lot of work to be done here. And it's, and you're gonna you're gonna have to find a way to compromise somehow. Um, I know you said Brian that he's way out over his skis. And by the way, I should mention in 2020, UCF has two ACC teams already scheduled: North Carolina and at Georgia Tech. I think the Georgia Tech game was moved because of the hurricane. And I also don't know whether or not they're trying to move that Carolina game that we lost to the hurricane in 2018. But um. Other than that, it's just two games of Louisville, uh, against Louisville in 21 and 22, Georgia Tech in 22, and then North Carolina in 24 and 25. That's a lot of inventory that you gotta that you gotta pack up and ship. And the problem is he doesn't have the leverage because the marquee programs are not. I mean, first of all, let, let's make this clear: since the the, the on campus stadium opened, it wasn't like the droves of power programs were coming to play here to begin with. <laughs> all right. I mean, you had a South Carolina that came here, which was basically a two-for-one de facto series with South Carolina. Uh, and that was pre-Spurrier when that was signed, actually. In fact, I remember because I was in that presser and that South Carolina game, and Spurrier's like, yeah, hell, hey. And I know now I would never agree to play here. I'll tell you that. You know, something with that deal there. <laughs> um, Texas came here in the first game of the building deal, and that was kind of a weird two-for-one that never actually materialized. Um, you know, and outside of that, you had Miami that one year at a home and home. You had what? Uh, Missouri, which nobody cared Mizzou, about. I mean, K, not- K State. You had BYU. K State never came here. K State never came here. That was like a one off. Oh, that's right. That's the- right. I think they may have K-State bought out of canceled. that one. I forget. They bought out of it because I yeah. think the Big 12 schedule changed. Remember, that was right around the time when the right. Big 12 was going through a lot of changes. So they kind of got themselves out of the game. Penn State was a well, wink, wink. Was supposed to be a home and home, but uh, magically that UCF home game turned into a game in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, so close, so close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, when you think <laughs> uh, nearby neutral game to Orlando, I think Ireland. Um, so it's not like these marquee teams are coming here to begin with. And then you add what's happened the last couple of years on the field with the success, and certainly off the field with the chatter and this, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want to call it. By the way, I should Trash mention talk. also. Uh, forgive me for interrupting, but I should mention Mizzou yeah. and NC State because remember when NC State came here, they had Russell Wilson. Is that right? Correct. Russell Wilson was there. I was there for that game. Uh, correct. But the point is, um, I, teams are not just going to go out of their way to play. No, no, and, you know, that's okay. I mean, that's, that's you know, that the, the luxury that you have when you're a big-time program. Like, you mentioned Florida State. What was the years you mentioned Florida State uh, as, as far as open dates? You were, oh, they, you, they you, have you, at least were, one every year from 2020 right. to 2029. But keep in mind, keep in mind that Florida State every year plays Florida. So in reality, they're only looking for one other game that maybe is marquee, two tops. Uh, the rest of it, they're going to fill out with easy games. Like, for example, like in 2020, FSU already has West Virginia and Boise State on the schedule. And they have Florida. They're not going to add another good game there. They're going to add a puff, a puff game there. Uh, 2021, FSU plays Notre Dame and Florida. I guarantee you they will not add another marquee game there. They're going to add two soft games, especially if Willie Taggart has another bad year. So 
there's a lot of different variations to that that UCF's kind of at a disadvantage. So the question's going to be is will UCF be willing to schedule maybe a neutral game one-off here and there, uh, a, you know, a, a situation, a unique situation? I don't know the answer to that. Or are they going to stick to the home-and-home? And if they stick to the home-and-home, I don't expect a marquee program to be coming to play it on campus. And when I say marquee, I'm talking programs that are, you know, perennial top 25 programs. I, you know, I, I don't really, you know, m- as far as the okay, so, big so, conference. So you're thinking like, uh, like forget, you know, the Florida's, Georgia's, Alabama's, yeah. Auburn's, and LSU's. Exactly. Throw. Okay. They're never going to happen. Never going to happen. Murph, what do you think? I mean, wh- what would you do? As far as like who I would schedule? Yeah, yeah. Like, like if if I'm putting you, if I'm dropping you in Danny White's shoes right now, like what, what might be some schools you might want to call up at this point? Well, just because just out of the schools you mentioned, I mean, I, I thought I've seen some Arkansas chatter because that they have a lot of open spots. I thought I saw some Arkansas chatter recently, and people were like, "Well, that's not they're not good enough." Like, they're 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 an SEC program. It's, right. it's fine. You've got again. You've got you've got Miami and Florida State with open dates. Uh, again, Eric laid out why that could be difficult, but uh, but still, like if they like try, just like see what happens, and they might. Well, I think they're trying. Like, I think people are trying. I don't think people are not like you know. I don't think they're hmm. hanging out in the office and saying, "Hey, okay. let's wait for people to call us." I'm sure phone calls are being made. The problem is, I think those phone well, calls aren't being returned. Well, Danny actually said that those exact words uh, back at the <laughs> yeah. charge on back at the charge on event last week, where he said. Uh, we're making a lot of calls, and we're not getting a lot of return phone calls. So no, I don't mean that. <clears throat> I don't mean that they should do something because they're obviously doing a lot. But at some point, you got to get something scheduled, yeah. and you don't. You don't want to. You do not want to end up probably playing like BYU. Uh, I don't think that helps you, or, or something like that. You mean you might have to give a little bit, but at this point, I, I don't think we're we're in anywhere near the point where UCF is going to uh, relent. Well, by the way, Miami, Miami, by the way, 2021, they play at Mercedes-Benz against Alabama, and they have a home game against Michigan State, and they have Appalachian State. I guarantee you Miami ain't going to add another marquee game in 2021. That's the problem. These teams, and I think this is what's the other issue UCF's got going against them. I think what's going on now across college football is I think everybody kind of knows that we're going to go to 18 playoff in the next handful of years. And I think teams now are going to beef up their non-conference schedule because of what happened with Georgia last year. Didn't get in because in part because they didn't win their conference. They didn't have a tough enough schedule non-conference. And I think you're going to see big programs start scheduling each other because they want to beef up their schedule strength in case they go to 18 playoff. And now you got at-large bids on the line. And they want to say, look at our schedule strength. Not to mention there's a money aspect to this. College football as a whole is down in attendance. Despite with my good friend Tim Brando, who I'm a huge fan of, and people and fans like Tim and other fans want to think, college football is actually not as healthy as people think. It's not as healthy as people think. People are not going to seventh home games anymore. They're not going to go see play teams play FCS teams anymore. And I think teams and schools are going to have to adjust and, and try to get the fans to spend money. And by doing that, you have to schedule some mar- uh, marquee games. Well, I, I think that's where the interesting thing is, is, like, what is the definition of a marquee game if you're a team like UCF, right? So if you're hell-bent on getting Power 5 teams into your schedule, I do think you're right, Eric, that, like, that the, the, 
the Alabamas and Auburns and LSUs of the world are just going to, right. you know, they're going to they're going to they're going to delete your voicemail when they see it's from a 407 area code. But um, but I'm interested more in some of those teams that are kind of in that next tier like okay Ole Miss has some has some spots open in you know 2023 and beyond Texas A&M kind of, is kind of interesting like like what would you what could what about a team uh, if we're talking SEC right what about Tennessee um if you're talking about the Big 12 all right um Texas Christian TCU they have 20 spots that they have left to fill out of 30 games in that 10-year period um Texas Tech has a spot open, not many spots, but they have one open coming up pretty quick. Um, you know, if you look further down the ACC, you know, in the AC, I mentioned Arkansas in the SEC, but you know, you look further down the ACC, like what, like what about a team like Syracuse, who UCF has played before? What about a team like Virginia that has spots open? You know, maybe Pitt might want to get involved once again. I think that that sort of that's where the the fat part of the bullseye is if I think if you're if you're Danny White like you're not going to get you're you're not going to get Penn State out of the Big Ten right. you're not going to get Ohio right. State unless they're really desperate for a game because somebody canceled or whatever but what about Rutgers you well, know but the problem is our fa- our fa- I mean who's going to be excited about Rutgers you know what I mean I, I, mean, I, I know that's the, that's the that's, that's the thing right? and and then they're ha- you know and then they're like they're selling the idea of well we're playing a Big Ten opponent this year it, let's say right. they schedule Rutgers like. It, we, I know that the, the the folks at UCF in in the marketing department who do a dang good job, you know, they're going to sell the idea of Rutgers. Hey, Big Ten, right? Um, but you, you know, the 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 typical cynical UCF fan is going to be like, "Come on, Rutgers!" Like, well, it's not even well, the UCF fan. I think it's going to be a lot of the national media now. It's going to be like, "Wait, you guys have been talking all this game, and then that's what you'd come up with." You know, yeah. I think there's yeah. going to be some I mean, that, scrutiny that, that, outside. That, 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 that would kind of be like Florida scheduling Colorado. It, it's sort of in the same yeah. way. Like, yeah, they play they play football in a, in a P five conference. Sorry, P six, whatever. I don't know what the branding is. Uh, P seven. Shout out good. to Andy Seely. <laughs> That's true. Go, go Mountain Go Mountain. Uh, That's right. Mountain West. Mountain, Mountain West. West. I, I almost went Missouri Valley because I was still worried about looking on baseball. Uh, <laughs> but like, if you if you can schedule a Ole Miss or a Tennessee, like I know it's not LSU or Alabama or Auburn. But the odds are pretty decent that as long as those teams aren't racked by uh, academic penalties, you might catch them on eight, on an eight and four year, and like you'd be really good. Like there's nothing that there's, like you, all of those teams are capable of going eight and four in a year in which they have a full boat of scholarships, yeah. and like there's no like massive dissension. Uh, I mean, again, you have to preface all of this with the SEC because yeah. there's just there's a lot of dirtiness. Well, I mean, I mean, no surprise. Point. Let me ask you. Let me let me ask you both this. Because I don't understand. Nobody has ever given me a clear answer on this. Why does football is the only sport where we have to schedule like a decade from now? Like college basketball has to fill out 15, 18 dates a year, I would say, if you don't count conference games. And they do it on a, for the most part, a year to year basis. Baseball is the same. Baseball, you got to fill out, you know, what, 30, 20, what? How many non conference? 30 some games? Baseball makes their schedule mostly two years. Like Loveletty was telling me a couple of days, like, and this is on the record. Uh, he was telling me that uh, he's made most of his twenty twenty two schedule is already done. Okay, all right. So a couple so, years, a couple years. Yeah. So a couple yeah. years. That's fine. That's fine. Let's go. Let's go with that. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, which is fine. 
why doesn't why does football have to why are we why are football programs scheduling games in 2030 this is this is the problem because <laughs> like i mean everything could well, change in 2030 well to, well, to be fit like, to be fair and i and i've done the research and i've looked at the data and that's that's not entirely you know teams aren't scheduling games in the 2030s left and right it, it's extremely rare all right, but give me, I mean, 2025 we've look seen, what, right? 2020. Yeah, look what, yeah, look what Florida just did with Texas with its right. 2029. Yeah. Right. Well, what is this? Oh, well, well, here's here's the one I thought was actually kind of funny was that the team that has its non-conference schedule of the 91 teams I looked at, the team that has its non-conference schedule the most wrapped up is Virginia Tech. They have every non-conference game except for one already scheduled between 2019 and 2029 they have one they have one slot left yeah i know they have that one 2025 they have one slot left right now one slot left guys get give the Hokies a call (laughs) hey uh, what do you got justin fuente right he's from memphis so like can you go to like the virginia tech 2029 schedule and like give me one of their non-conference games yeah yeah yeah. well well, let me try and get it just just imagine there is a seven-year-old currently who will be on the <laughs> roster for that game that is ridiculous in 2029 by the way they have their by the way their latest game uh schedule they have a uh they're scheduled to play notre dame at, on september the 1st 2036 in black in blacksburg we'll all be dead by then um Right. By the time, like, North Carolina showed up, they were terrible. So, like, yeah. you know, a, well, this, you might schedule next week that might look good, might look terrible in five, eight years from now. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, it's just kind of crazy. Well, like, well, if you see a four to schedule Boise State, which I think is going to happen, uh, who knows if that's a good game or not in five to eight years? Who knows? Yeah. Same, thing same, thing with, same thing with BYU. Same thing with Stanford. Same thing with Maryland. But if you get an SEC team like an Arkansas – You've got a chance of them being decent the in the best. Higher, co- I agree, Murph. I think you have a higher batting average there. Yeah, in I the agree. best, in the best conference in the country, yeah, and you have exactly. a chance. By the way, Virginia, Virginia Tech in twenty twenty, excuse me, in twenty thirty, has uh, all four of their games slated out as well. They play Arizona. They are at Liberty. They are at BYU, and they're home for Old Dominion. I just thought Perfect. sounds like a. Yeah. Sounds like a murderer's row to me. <laughs> well, remember, they got beat by Old Dominion earlier this year. <laughs> yeah, they might want to buy out of that. Yeah, be- yeah, they might. No, well, they play them every year from, like, 2022 on out. Well, maybe that's an in-state thing. Or yeah, well it, well, it is in-state. But I, I'm sorry, Murph, go ahead. No, no, I was going to just piggyback on, like, Old Dominion can't wait to get – or Virginia Tech can't wait to get to get revenge in, like, 2029 <laughs> yes. against Old Dominion. Yeah, they're going to buy out of that Old Dominion game. Point. Murph makes a great point. The problem is you – if you schedule, hypothetically, a Rutgers, the odds are that they're not going to be good. Historically, they would tell you that's not a good game. So, <laughs> Yeah, but that's and, the and risk you that, take. I mean, I mean, it's – you know. Right, but what Murph is saying, you're better off gambling on a – lower end SEC program that has more resources that can be good than you do a Rutgers who you know is not going to be good. I think that's what I, you know, two years ago, I mean, when, you know, UCF played Maryland, Maryland's not good. Like everybody, I'm not, nobody was surprised that Maryland wasn't any good. I don't care. They had injuries. They're they're not going to be good as long as they're in the big 10. I'm sorry. Um, You know, you know, who's not going to be good this year is Stanford. I mean, it's just, it's just the way these things break. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
Let's. It is. I do wonder if the West Coast maybe there's there might be teams on the West Coast that might be more willing to play UCF at UCF like a Stanford because it's a chance to get a trip down to Florida and have a chance to maybe recruit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. So, okay. No. No. That's. I found that also to be interesting because when you look at the Pac-12, you have this is. I thought this was bizarre. Did you know Colorado has has filled out every everything on their slate except for two games? Now the Pac-12. Only has the Pac-12 teams only play three non-conference games because they play nine, uh, nine yeah. in-conference games. But you got schools like Cal that that have a lot of openings. You have you know Oregon State, USC has sixteen. And actually, the team we were talking about the soft air, the the team that actually really kind of piqued my interest was Washington, yeah. because they have seventeen games that they have to fill out of thirty. Um, starting with two in uh, 2022. So, like, they, I would give Chris Peterson a call. <laughs> you know, I mean, why not? I mean, it's, it, it, I think that, I mean, yeah, I know it's a long trip, but we but we know actually from, from the past that Washington is not afraid to make this. I think they, they played down in Miami a well, few times, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, well, they played in the Orange right. Bowl. And, and, the, and the thing is, the Pac-12 teams might be more willing to play a UCF because they're all the Pac-12's uh, image right now is not very good. And so <laughs> you might let's just leave it as so. That. Why would that? Uh, well, let me ask you this though: why, why would that? Why would that help? Couldn't it, wouldn't that only play into the into that narrative for them? No, I mean, you play a better teams. You're trying to maybe get into the state of Florida and recruit and get better players. Uh, that could be your 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 kind of avenue. I think that's why Stanford scheduled this, I'm guessing. Um, so that could be a part of it. Uh, you schedule, you know, UCF or whoever and, and try to schedule. Who knows? Uh, but I do wonder if in the future UCF has a more westerly schedule because I could see teams in the south not playing UCF for a variety of reasons, whether it be – I have no interest in doing a home-and-home. Home. I don't have an interest in playing them because they could beat us, or I really don't like how they've acted the last couple of years. I think there's a variety of reasons why I think a lot of the South schools will not play UCF, in my opinion, but we'll see. Time will tell. I don't know. I, I don't know about that so much. I think business is business, and, it, and if teams perceive a, a lucrative uh, a lucrative matchup from UCF, they're going to try. They're, they're going to try to actually get. I don't think that people. But are I don't be, think. A I, I don't. I don't, th- I, don't, I don't think. I don't think any athletic director in the SEC is going to be like, you know what? I would have played UCF, but because because of Danny White on Twitter, you know, I, I, I'm not going to now. That's that seems ridiculous to me. No, they don't, they won't do that. No. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see what the schedule looks like. Yeah. So, all right. Okay. Um, and and like also like just in a general point of view people getting worked up for like we mentioned it a little bit people getting worked up for games that are nine years from now and like talking about if it's good enough for the conference is it's such a non-starter conversation it's really like i i I thought that i you know i i don't want to name names but there were a few people in ucf media land who were just feeding the med the red meat to the dogs and uh, over this i'm like come on guys that's that's a stretch of a take and by the way, South Florida's doing nothing wrong. They're not hurting the league. If anything, you right. would argue they're helping the league because they're going to get some marquee games. And if they win those games, that helps the league. Just like Cincinnati recently, I think, scheduled. They're going to play at Notre Dame on a one-off, I believe. Yeah. Is that anything? What's wrong with that? Like, yeah. everybody has a right to schedule however they want to schedule. Mm-hmm. Who the heck are you to judge them on how they're scheduling? If they want to do two-for-ones, good for them. I mean, yeah. they got to do what they got to do what's best for them. And I think Michael Kelly in South Florida knows what's best for them. And 
And just like Danny White, I'm sure knows what's best for UCF. I don't think one there's one wrong answer or one right answer to be honest. But it makes it, but it makes for such tell. great hashtag content, Eric Lopez. That's what it makes for. And it's just absurd. People are knocking USF <laughs> for scheduling like Miami's and Florida. Like good for them. We got to find a way to fill minutes and column inches in May. I know so we yeah. have this. Yeah, we, yeah because because like football. Now wait till we break down that BYU future series. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Provo, Ty Demery anyway. walking through that door. The most overrated <laughs> college football program in the planet. Bring him oh, here. Boy. This is too. Now we're oh, now boy. we've gone too. Right. Now we're going I'm, to a different. I'm stopping. Offshoot. I'm and stopping this segment this, immediately. This segment has gone so far. I believe Texas, Florida is about to kick off. We are talking. <laughs> we we are we are throwing shade at Brigham Young. Um, all right. Uh, when we get back, we'll wrap up a couple other things. Rack up, rack up, rack. We will wrap up one more time in English. Wrap up softball uh, with uh, with Eric, and we'll also look ahead to uh, women's golf in the NCAA's uh, coming up. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. You can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. So um, we're, we're going to wrap here by uh, saying fair, by bidding farewell to um, a few sports on the season. Um, softball, um, a bizarre situation in the American Athletic Conference uh, Championship, which we thought might happen, Eric Lopez. Um, we they, did predict this. You and Murph, the a meteorologist, we that's said right. there was a chance they had some trouble. And yeah. they, uh, Eric Burris, yeah, we're right. coming for you, man. Um, we we uh, uh, we got the Knights lost in the quarterfinal on a, a late home run to Wichita State. Um, they were eliminated. And then I, I think it was from the semifinals on, the, the whole tournament got wiped um, they didn't because of the weather. The la- they, didn't finish the, they didn't even finish the last quarterfinal game uh, yeah. at all. This was a botch from the beginning. Talking to but what are they supposed Houston. to do? Like, yeah. Well, I can, I'm going to tell you if you've been, just give me a second here to uh, can explain because I talked to people. I was working the phones here, Jeffrey, as the softball softball woes. Softball woes. He's buying into his own nickname now. I love it. <laughs> next thing's the Twitter handle. Anyway, go ahead. I just the only next thing. The only thing. The only thing I got to work is like some you know cute tweets like Woj did at the draft where he doesn't give away the answer but basically teases the answer, which is phenomenal uh, tweets. But no. I talked to people in Houston uh, and around that the lead, you know, the coaches wanted to move this up to Wednesday to start the quarterfinals because they knew the weather was going to be bad Thursday and Friday. And uh, the league said no. And part of it was, I think, one of the uh, South Florida was not in town yet and things well, like that. Well, that's kind of a problem. <laughs> yeah, but the, the pro- we had the same it's problem. It's one seed. <laughs> but we had the same problem in 2017. <laughs> Where there was threatening weather, and they moved. What they did was they played two quarterfinal games on Wednesday, and they played two uh, the other one on Thursday because South Florida that year also didn't travel until Wednesday. So they mo- played the South Florida quarterfinal game on Thursday, and they played the other two on Wednesday to get them in, and they didn't do that. And then what happened was, you know, they got the three quarters in on Thursday, but then it got rained during the last game on the Thursday, and then Friday. There was flood warnings, and the city basically sh- uh, the campus shut down and things like that. So that ruined Friday, and then they were going to try play Saturday, but it started raining again. And then by the time they uh, got to the field, the field was just not playable because it just took too much water. And I've been to that stadium many a times. It's not does not drain water very well. There were uh, from sources that told me there were even conversations of trying to move it to College Station 
to play at the old A&M, Texas A&M Stadium. You know, the SEC tournament was at the the, the new Texas A&M Stadium, which is a state-of-the-art. They would have tried to play it in the old stadium, but that didn't work out either. And uh, I think they came to the conclusion they just couldn't finish it on Saturday, and they rewarded South Florida with the automatic bid. So it's unfortunate. Um, I know a lot of people are not happy about it, and it just is what it is. But, uh, you know, if they would have seen the weather, uh, they sh- they could I think they should have been more proactive and try to get this done earlier. If they would have gotten games in on Wednesday, I think they had an sh- outside chance of finishing it on a Sunday. But once they got behind, they were doomed. Well, I mean, see, that's the other that's the other part about this is even if you you have to basically you had to get seven games in to finish out the tournament, right? And they couldn't get they couldn't finish the last four. The uh, I mean, what do you do other than host it in a desert somewhere like Wichita every year? I mean, well, if, if they would have, let's say they gotten three quarterfinal games in on Wednesday. You get the South Florida one done early Thursday. Then you probably could have gotten the two semis in on Thursday. Then you would have had three days to get the final in. I think that was kind of your best wish. The fact they didn't get any games in Wednesday, it was a huge gamble and it didn't work. I mean, it just didn't work. Um, Look, at the end of the day, I don't think it hurt the league that much. They got the three teams in that were going to get in. Mm. What, what about uh, the TV, South- though? Was, wasn't the championship game supposed to be on ESPN2 or something like that? Oh, yeah. And ESPN2 said, uh, see ya. We, <laughs> <laughs> we're we're out of here. Once you guys decided to uh, move, change your schedule, we're going to get And that's the unfortunate thing is you lose TV exposure to that. The same thing happened to baseball last year, if you remember, Jeffrey, with the yeah. weather issues. Yeah, I was there. They lost the ESPN <laughs> game as well because of the changing in the weather, and hopefully yeah. next week Clearwater will cooperate. But, um, you know, it's unfortunate. Now, Houston, Tulsa, and South Florida are in. The teams that got hurt were Wichita State and East Carolina because they needed to play those games to try to win the automatic bid and make the NCAA. The irony is UCF got hurt by just playing the game. They probably would have wished they would have just rained out their game because the way the bubble played out, UCF was one of the first five teams out, and who knows? If UCF doesn't lose that Wichita game, maybe they slip in. Or, as you brought up very well two weeks ago, if they would have drawn a Houston, let's say, and beaten Houston in that first game, and then the rest of the tournament is washed out, that might have been good enough for them to get in. But, you know, none of that worked out for yeah. UCF. Obviously. And they and they didn't go to the, what was it, the NISC, which is kind of like the... No, they turned that down. I mean, the that, that tournament is not... To, for those that don't know, that is not – I mean, it's not like the men's basketball in the NIT. You don't have to pay stuff. Uh, the, the softball one, you have to pay kind of like volleyball yeah. and women's hoops. Or, and, or like the uh, CBI, I think, right? Yeah, it's a very good comparison. I've heard that it's up to like ten grand that you've got to pay to get in. Jeez. <laughs> uh, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the thing. But yet, yet like, uh, Lamar is in it every year. Like, where do they get that money from? <laughs> That's a great question. I, you know, it's funny how these schools always say they don't have money until they do. Now, look, here's the thing. I think the, for UCF, the standard has been the NCAAs. And if you don't make the NCAAs, it's, that's it. You're not going to settle for the NISC. I mean, Lamar, I think a school like Lamar probably does it because, you know, they don't ever get to go to the NCAAs. So, <laughs> you know, I think for UCF, uh, it's a tough way. 34 wins, um, one of the first five out. Second year in a row, you're probably on the outside looking in, and I think the question now is, you know, what? How do you get over that hump? Uh, how do you get over the hump as you get into 2020? You return a lot of players. You do lose Cassidy Brewer, who's a top 10 offensive player of all time. You lose a great defensive player in Aaron Emanuel and Brooke Barlow, but you return a lot of personnel. You have a good class coming in, but the question's going to be, what's it going to? What? 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 How do you get over the hump? Because this team's been knocking on the door for the NCAA tournament the last couple of years, 
but certain things went wrong. Last year, they, was, they were short on pitching, and they lost some games they shouldn't have lost that cost them. This year, they had the pitching. They just didn't hit in conference in particular. They hit 225 in conference play, didn't score runs for their pitching staff, and they cost them in the American Conference. I, I, they go in 1-8 and eight against South Florida, Houston, and Tulsa. Those were the three teams in the NCAA tournament. That cost them. They yeah. were the turning point was in the Wichita State series in the bottom of the ninth. They had two on and nobody out. They try a bunt. The ball is popped into the air. The catcher Madison Perrigan for Wichita does not come up with it, but she she trapped it. But because she trapped it, the runners were frozen. Nobody knew if she caught it or not. The umpire said she didn't. But by the time she got up, she threw to third, threw to second. It's a double play. The UCF threat ends. Wichita State comes back to score three runs and win the game in the 10th inning. Since then, UCF went 6-12 and 12 to finish the season. There's no infield fly rule in, in college softball? Uh, well, they read the up had a late call on that, and hmm. that's the thing. Nobody, there was no call on anything like that. So it was all botched, and uh, so they just didn't finish the season strong. <laughs> that's the way the 12, cookie crumbles. Jeez. Pretty much. 6-12 and 12 to finish the year. One and eight against the top three teams that are going to the NCAA tournament. If you go three and five, four and four in those games, UCF's probably playing in Gainesville this weekend yep. in the region, and I would be getting ready to head out there, or may I already be out there. I might be calling. I'd be, ta- I'd be talking to you right now from Gainesville. Yeah. Well, as it is, um, the season's over. But check out. Um, I actually asked Eric five questions. We're going to call this the summer right. exams. I want to hope, hopefully, do this during the summer with um, every sport. Um, where I would where I would ask um, questions about every UCF sport over the summer, and just some key questions that were kind of on my mind. Maybe they're on your mind too. Um, make sure you check that out. We're hopefully going to have uh, football. I know Murph, you were talking uh, you were talking about men's hoops might be an option too. So, um, uh-huh. so we'll be checking a look at that too. All right, a couple <laughs> other things I wanted to wrap up. Yeah, that's that's there's there's Murph's contribution for the third segment right there. Hi, uh, <laughs> how are you? Yeah. Uh, some notes for you on uh, a couple of other sports. Rowing goes for, is this right, their sixth consecutive American Athletic Conference championship on Sunday, May 19th. Um, dynasty. That, that is the dynasty, man. Um, uh, Becky Kramer um, still making it happen uh, for UCF as, uh, as taking a peek at their schedule. Uh, the uh, American Athletic Championship is at, is in uh, Oklahoma City uh, on Sunday the nineteenth. So we'll be on the lookout. Really for that? Yeah, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Um, wow. Yeah, they'll be there in two weeks if they want to just hang out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> One way or the other, I think they're going to be getting out. <laughs> NCAA's are May thirty first, by the way, right after uh, or the weekend after uh, Memorial Day. Um, and uh, in addition to that, um, women's golf. And we got. I want to talk about women's golf here for a little bit because they are heading once again to the um, NCAA. They're heading to the NCAA championship really for the first time, um, first time in 23 years, uh, as they qualified at the NCAA regionals by finishing sixth um, in uh, in uh, Washington State. So this Friday, May 17th, they are in Fayetteville, Arkansas. They tee off at 9:21 a.m. on Friday. Um, and then 2.01 p.m. on Saturday for the second round. So they have, like, basically stroke play for the first two days, and then they pair the, the um, field down, and then it becomes basically head-to-head, like team match play, essentially, the rest of the way. 
So, um, and if they do, and if they get that far, they get to Sunday. But, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that a UCF team has a shot at winning a national championship, and it doesn't have anything to do with polls. They could actually win it on the field. All right. Um, and it's women's golf and Emily Marin. So we wanted to wish uh, very good luck to uh, Coach Marin and the team um, heading to the NCAA National Championships um, later on this weekend. All right, um, let's wrap this thing up. No need to tease anything because we basically teased everything we've been writing throughout the entire point, including an entire segment of stuff we did earlier. Um, but we do have, uh, we're hopefully going to, that's no, true. I'm not going to waste your time. Um, the uh, We do have the, um, well, we'll hopefully do, maybe we'll do a little mini show on Sunday to preview the baseball tournament. I know that Murph, you'll be heading to Clearwater. I will be heading to Clearwater. Lopez, I don't know. You might be hitchhiking down to Clearwater. Um, you guys invite me. I'll go, man. I, I got, hey, saw you mentioned it. Softball season, uh, UCF's done, so I, I yeah. got time next. I got free time next. Well, week. we got to see the schedule is going to shake out on Saturday. We're going to take a look at that. Um, uh, Eric, you got a couple things. Got Murph, and, and of course, obviously this weekend the um, the tournament or the the final regular season uh, baseball. Right. Houston, uh, series oh, against we're Houston. going, baby. And Me and Murph are going. Jeff, you're welcome to come. You know, I know. I, know. I, want, I want to bring Connor. I want to bring Connor. Listen, this is the last um, uh, UCF home sporting event, right? Yeah. So, um, and by the way, to catch up, yeah, because, well, women's tennis was eliminated from the uh, in the Sweet 16 by Pepperdine, which is too oh, bad. Wait, run. We should mention <laughs> since they have we haven't mentioned them at all. I know. And, and we should, well, I don't, we well, I don't know if like, Brian... By the way, great run. They gave Pepperdine all they could handle in that, ma- in that match. I don't know uh, if Brian Kanika the- wants us to remind everybody that they lost in a tournament so close to actually getting to the... So close to actually coming back to Orlando. Um, you could say, hey, end on a great season. It was fantastic. They went Sweet 16. They were pretty close to Elite 8. That's pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. It's too bad that we won't be seeing them But um, in uh, back in Orlando here. However, we will be seeing um, a few UCF men's and women's players in the singles and doubles. Uh, we're going to go, for men's and what? This is the moment of truth. Are we going to go to men's that? Men's and women's. I would, I would like to, but it, it, it's, it's all starting tomorrow, actually. Oh, Thursday the uh-huh. 16th is when the team tournament starts. Um <clears throat> Excuse me, and then I'm going to be in Clearwater, and so are you, Murph. Um, wow! And then come again. Well, well, hopefully, hopefully, we'll get, <laughs> I would like to see the the doubles and singles if we get the opportunity to. If we get the opportunity, so I don't know. It's it's going to be it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a heavy lift. Foiled again. I'm so sorry, Brian Ormiston. I owe you like, like the three seasons. Gag, man. It's I know. It's real. I I know. This is I know. This is this is atrocious. I, I have no one to blame it'll for this be, but be, myself. It'll be twenty twenty nine. 20, we'll, yeah. be talking, we'll be talking about the 2039 football schedule. That's right. I was still say, say. What's, what's more likely? We head out to the USTA Center, Lake Nona, or UCF <laughs> fills out their football schedule for the next half. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing Danny White's not listening. Um, we've got uh, – so we have that. We'll be taking a look at the – it's going to be a busy week for us. Uh, actually, it might be one of the busiest weeks of the year, but you know, hopefully in the next uh, – couple of uh weeks we'll also be doing the bannies um which should be a lot more fun with a lot more people on staff to actually get, to actually get input from on that um as well as you we know if jeremy well. brenner's okay after the rockets elimination i mean he's all right he's gonna survive i haven't seen him on twitter in like a week oh boy i, I don't know I, I i gotta i gotta i gotta give him a call i gotta see it i gotta might want to okay. okay so all right jeremy hope everything's okay it's all right it's all right um, Harden will be back next year. It'll be fine. So, 
All right, for uh, all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, including um, Eric at Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter and Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter, I am Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. We'll catch you uh, a little bit later this weekend to preview the American Athletic Conference baseball tournament. Until then, catch you later.